0: Hey, everybody. Justin Robert Young here. Uh, Before we get into the episode, I just want to let everybody know that this was recorded and produced before the Uvalde shooting. So there is not going to be a mention of it, uh, specifically in the interview that comes at the end of the show where we talk about manifestos and stuff like that. That's the reason why, as you are hearing it, uh, it was recorded before. So uh, if you would like my immediate reaction, uh, I did just do an episode on the Patreon feed for... Uh, folks, uh, that's always the late edition, the latest news that happens in the week. We cover there. Obviously, we will cover this going forward, uh, specifically in terms of any kind of possible legislation. But uh, just want to let you guys know. Here we go. Here's the episode. The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, And Craig. Yes. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics 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 Podcast for Friday, May 27th. This is your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you back. Deep in the heart of Texas, Austin to be exact, we have uh, returned from Georgia. Those results, along with all the other primaries, are in. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our our two-part coverage in the way that we have done it recently. That should be it for the travel for primaries. Um, we might have some more travel. Might be going abroad a little bit later, but that's news for another day. We've got a whole episode here for you, including some reaction to the coverage that we've seen over the past few weeks. I've noticed a trend that as Donald Trump continues to play a massive role in the Republican Party, and yet... He does not control the Republican Party, like we saw in the Georgia race, that the media has been kind of throwing around. And I know I just did it. I just did the media, the capital T, capital M, you know, but many commentators, I have noticed, are throwing around a lot of terms, some of which I don't think make sense. And so I did the work myself to go through the right wing glossary, the conservative glossary, and specifically the glossary of the new right for which Donald Trump is, if not the sun for which it orbits, the person that opened the portal into this realm of politics. So I'm going to go through all that with you in a second. Also, The New York Times, of all places, doing a bit of a dive into the health of Democratic senatorial nominee for the state of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. Somebody that just a few days ago got out of the hospital after spending over a week because of a stroke and also the implementation of a pacemaker. There are a few very spicy quotes in this, including a kicker for which I could not believe. We'll get into that in a second. And finally, we're going to have an interview with a man about manifestos. The horrifying shooting in Buffalo has led to a lot of coverage about the origins of such violence. Why would somebody do this? What drove them to do it? We're going to have a man on by the name of Graham Wood. Graham is a writer for The Atlantic. And he is uh, uh, somebody who's written a book about Islamic terror. He knows a little something about manifestos. And I think we have a very substantial and rich conversation about it. I genuinely hope you guys stay around and listen to it. First, you guys know me every once in a while. I get a little fired up. I get a little fired up because I, I start watching television and or, or listening to, to commentary on politics. And, and I get I get a little finicky, I get a little finicky. And this was an example of it. I'm on the plane back from Georgia and I'm watching CBS, it's a CBS news segment, and they're talking about the split between Donald Trump and Brian Kemp. And the anchor says, well, you know, even though Brian Kemp isn't backed by Donald Trump, he is very Trumpy. Now, add into that the fact that we've seen a lot of other Uh, uh, names being thrown around, America first, MAGA, ultra MAGA, dark MAGA. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and run through all of those terms and what they mean to me. Disclaimer, I know that there are going to be people that will write in and say, that's not what it means. It means something else. So uh, understood, we we are, uh, I, I am going to walk you through my perspective on this. Whether or not you agree is up to you, but hopefully you get something out of it. So let's start with that term that, that, that triggered your boy, Trumpy. If you are using the man's name, Donald Trump's name, I assume that you are taking things from his personality and not necessarily his ideology. So I would draw a circle around more Donald Trump as a candidate than as a ideologue, if that makes sense. So let's boil down what that means. Trump emerged without permission, running for president before Senate or governor or something else that the GOP would have probably preferred he do first. So let's put that in there. It is a Trumpy move to say, I'm just going to run for this, even if my party doesn't want me to. Trump is brash to the point of shooting first and asking questions later. See using the term rapist while talking about immigrants across the Southern border in your very first press conference. Trump also used Twitter a lot before he got suspended from the platform. I don't know if you'd heard about that, but let's just go ahead and substitute that with having a brash media strategy. Now, The three things that I just described are tactical ideas. These are things for which in the copycat league of politics, once you've proven that that's not a bad strategy, it will forever be incorporated into how somebody successfully runs for office. Now, that's not to say that everybody does it. But it is to say that now it is viable. And the candidates that do the majority of what I just talked about, in my mind, would be Trumpy candidates. So let's move on from that. America first. A lot of people assume that Donald Trump came out of nowhere. And if you believe that Donald Trump came out of nowhere in 2016 you're probably a Democrat. To conservatives, and specifically those who consumed right-wing media regularly, he had long been a known figure leading up to that. His popular appearances on Fox News and AM radio are what propelled him to flirt with running for office as a Republican in the first place. And he did that before a few times before he actually ran. But the ideology that he would champion The stuff that he would hear on these programs and then decide he believed in it is not something that he came up with. Pap Buchanan had a semi-successful primary run for president, although unsuccessful, obviously, in which he pointed to the southern border as a major issue. Ross Perot made the debate stage while saying that NAFTA would produce a sucking sound bringing American jobs abroad. Now, failed Pennsylvania senatorial candidate Kathy Barnett said that she didn't change her political opinions to align with Trump. Trump changed his to, to align with her. And I genuinely agree with that. I, I, I don't think that it is correct to credit Trump with the origination of these ideas. I don't even think he's necessarily the originator of all those ideas together. If anything, he is the originator of putting those ideas together while being the candidate that he was, which is why I separate those two things. America first, as we're going to define it now, I'm not saying it was always called that, but America first, the way I understand it, has been around for quite a while. And when I hear that phrase, those are the specific policies that I think of. The southern border. And manufacturing, the loss of manufacturing, which Trump kind of categorized as, as trade deals, much in the same way that Ross Perot did. Hard immigration caps, loss of manufacturing jobs, and a distrust in federal spending that does not specifically address those two things. So when you see right-wing criticism of the Ukrainian aid package, that's where that comes from, in my opinion, from the America. First philosophy. So again, we have the tactical, we have the ideological. Tactical is Trumpy, ideological is America first. Let's get into the MAGA. This to me is probably the sort of secret sauce. This is the branding that brings together the Trumpiness of the tactician and the ideology of America first. If a candidate is Trumpy, they are acting like Trump. If a candidate is MAGA, in my opinion, they are acting like a fan of Trump. MAGA is where you get some of the sassier elements of the emergent right. The memes, the troll jobs, the clapbacks. Just a couple days ago, Marjorie Taylor Greene filmed herself going into the election uh, or general election opponent's headquarters to quote unquote wish him well. Undoubtedly, she was hoping that she'd either be barred from the door or maybe even go and talk to him, which uh, if they both shook hands and wished each other well, that would undercut the fact that he is this, you know, uh, a super angry insurgent candidate against her. Still, after he was not there, she made a few remarks that his office was not well kept and his volunteers had food laying around that that drive to make content. That drive to embarrass your enemy. That, in my opinion, is the MAGA part. That's the branding. That's the culture. It's libs of TikTok. It's Donald Trump Jr. And probably in its most powerful and potent political form, it's Ron DeSantis. You know, Ron DeSantis is at a point now, uh, so transparently running for president already, that he should sign a trigger law where anything that is in the A block of Tucker will immediately have a law written for it and passed by Ron DeSantis. That's how much he's dialed into the, the idea of immediate back and forth. Now, here's a dirty little secret about MAGA. It's the most freewheeling. That politics has been in a while. And dare I say, if we are only to look at the the, uh, drawings on the Richter scale and and not bring our own morality as to what is right and what is wrong, and we are just looking at what is interesting, MAGA is about as interesting as politics has been in a while. And by the way, Democrats used to dominate this element of being interesting back when they were throwing stone stones at the humorless Republicans. This was a gigantic, super successful thread for which they could follow. And I would say the death of it came around 2008 to 2016, somewhere around there, because 2008, you still had some humor. In, in the Democratic Party, you had, you know, Barack Obama is your new bicycle and Hillary Clinton is mom jeans. But then, you know, the Tea Party defending Obama became a bigger thing. And then the coup de grace in 2016, the vanquished villain Hillary Clinton was brought back, but this time rebranded as the epic, amazing hero for whom demanded compulsory support from her party. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that is confusing soil for which to plant comedy seeds. Meanwhile, on the right, a party that was already fully into an insurrection that was successful within itself as Donald Trump seized control from people who had run that thing for decades and decades and decades. That was a place with no rules, which often creates the most compelling content. So, again, I'm defining MAGA as the more cultural element. If you are willing to to go back and forth, if you are willing to maybe push the lines of decency a little bit, that is... If you're you're making the memes that Donald Trump is retweeting and that's I, I know that there's there's a thin border here. It makes sense in my head. I don't know if I'm getting it across enough, but there's a thin border here between MAGA and Trumpy. But that would be the line for me. Trump doesn't make the memes. Trump retweets the memes. If you're making the memes. Then you are MAGA. Which brings us to its subcategories. Ultra MAGA. If somebody says that they know about conservative politics and with a straight face, they use the phrase ultra MAGA. Please know that they're a cop. (laughs) This is a front. You, You are speaking to a double agent. This was something cooked up by Biden that that he believes is going to signal and and get out the vote on the Democrats because, folks, they're not just MAGA now, they're ultra MAGA. And honestly, whichever Yale graduate thought that this would be a winner should be fired, which probably means they're the next secretary of state. The only thing to me that it succeeds in is reimagining deplorables for a new election cycle. And then we have our latest edition, dark MAGA. Madison Cawthorn, who was recently defeated in his North Carolina primary, said that dark MAGA is the new way to go. That he is no longer going to play nice with the establishment. That they are all just one big una party. And that they coalesce together so they could run him out of town. Which, of course, is just how losers talk. You know. Plenty of people who pissed off Kevin McCarthy have won re-election. Plenty of people who have pissed off the Republican Party have gone on to a successful career, including Trump, who became president. So, look, win your races and then talk about what you're going to do. If you're losing and you're bringing up you know, dark MAGA, it really doesn't mean, at least for the for for the intents and purposes of this se- this segment, which I am only talking about things that people have to hear. Every moment of any kind of informed political dialogue, you're hearing Trump, you're hearing MAGA, you're hearing America First. Dark MAGA doesn't mean anything, except for an excuse for me to play the Darkwing Duck theme song as we get out of this segment. Duck. Let's get dangerous. I thought. Going into, uh, uh, sorry, coming out of rather the Pennsylvania Senate race, that it was an undercovered story that the Democratic nominee was still in the hospital, and he spent a week there. Let's not even get into the symbolism of the fact that he had a heart surgery, and he is going to be running against quite possibly the most retail known heart surgeon in the country in Dr. Oz, whenever at some point within the next four months that they wrap up that GOP primary. That being said, the New York times looked into this and, and this is a fascinating article for a lot of reasons. Number one, because in general, It's kind of verboten for doctors that aren't your actual doctor to do anything close to diagnosing somebody that they're not seeing. Like, that's just a a kind of rule of thumb. But here's the headline. After stroke, doctors look at Fetterman's campaign trail prospects. Which, God, I, I can just imagine The fight about that headline, (laughs) because what the headline really wants to say to a story like this is we asked a bunch of doctors about whether or not Fetterman's official campaign story was plausible. They said no. It also includes an interview with Fetterman's partner uh, that doesn't go awry. So so here we go. Uh, uh, when Fetterman was discharged from the hospital, his campaign said on Sunday that his doctors assured him that he would make a complete recovery. But the campaign has not said when he will be able to return to campaigning. So there we go. In In the political world, that that ain't that ain't great. I'm going to take the time I need to rest and get 100 percent so I can go full speed soon and flip 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 this seat blue. And by the way, this is a pretty important race. This is a race for which may or may not determine control of the Senate. And I would say that Fetterman, without this health scare, is about as good of a candidate as you could run. We're going to see whether or not his politics are a drag in this current environment. But still, he is well-liked. He's got a good look. And he comes off way more relatable than Dr. Oz. So here we go. On May 17th, the day of the primary election, Mr. Fetterman had a pacemaker and a defibrillator implanted into his heart. His press office said in a statement, we will uh, it will help protect his heart and address his underlying cause of his stroke, which is atrial fibrillation, (afib) by regulating his heart rate and rhythm. Now, here's where things get a little bit weird. In a brief interview on May 20th, Giselle Barreto Fetterman, Mr. Fetterman's wife, told the story of his stroke from her perspective. We were on the road campaigning. We had breakfast and he was feeling fine. The couple got into a car to go to an event at Millersville University when she said the left side of his mouth drooped for just a second. I had this gut instinct and something was happening, Ms. Fetterman said. I yelled to the trooper, I think he's having a stroke. He said, I'm fine. What are you talking about? I feel fine. The trooper drove him to the Lancaster General Hospital where his treatment began. Ms. Fetterman uh, said it involved going through his groin, which suggests he had a thrombolectomy, a procedure where doctors slide a small plastic tube through the groin, advance it into the brain, and then pull the blood clot out using suction or a wire mesh. It was not till two days later that the campaign uh, reported that he had had a stroke uh, <laughs> uh, the you know uh, Federman's wife said that less than 48 hours is in pretty impressive timing when dealing with sensitive medical issues now at that point the Federman campaign cut off the interview with the New York Times which All right, let's go ahead. Reckless speculation on this story and why it is written in the way it is written, because it's written kind of weird. Feels to me like either the reporter or editor got annoyed that a fairly routine article about a, a, a very newsworthy event, a candidate that could tip the control of the Senate having a stroke at the very beginning of the general election, Big news story. You got to report it. I think they got pissed that the campaign cut off this interview and didn't offer them Fetterman. This this should be a heartwarming, oh, it happened, the love between these two people. Doctors say, in fact, give us the doctor too. Have the doctor tell the reporter he should be making a full recovery. We have full uh, uh, confidence that he's going to do that. I think absent that, They then went and got other doctors, including Dr. Lee Schwamm, a stroke specialist at Massachusetts General Hospital and professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School, said that doctors don't do a thrombolectomy uh, unless there is a large artery in the brain that is blocked. Quote, Schwamm, you typically wouldn't do it for somebody who has a little bit of a facial droop. These strokes tend to be very severe, he goes on. He's fortunate that he went to a hospital to treat it. You know, look, th- this goes on. I would encourage you to read this article. I-, I just want to read this final thing. All right. This is from uh, Dr. Dio. Dr. Rajat Dio, an associate professor of medicine and a cardiac electrophysiologist at the University of Pennsylvania's Perlman School of Medicine. Uh, They uh, think that he might have a damaged heart, that Fetterman might actually have a damaged heart. Anyway, again, so weird. This is normally not done, that that you have well-respected doctors that are making – these kinds of statements about somebody for whom is not their patient. Um, oh, sorry. This was not from Dr. Dio. This is from Dr. Juan. Uh, but again, th- this is somebody who has more of a, a uh, <laughs> an extreme opinion than the guy who only thinks that Fetterman has a damaged heart. Dr. Elaine Juan is an associate professor of medicine in, uh, in cardiology and and cardiac electrophysiology at Columbia she had the following thing to say. He's at risk for sudden cardiac death. For somebody on the campaign trail, that might raise concerns. Yeah, I think so. I think that might raise concerns. What a weird article. Now, I'm glad something was written because I do believe that uh, even in the previews leading into the uh, uh, into the primaries, that this was not covered sufficiently. This is a massive story, and again, even more so if Doctor Oz is is uh, you know the guy he's running against. You know, there's not a lot of people that can say, "I don't feel that my opponent should run." I fear for the safety of my opponent. But Dr. Ross can, because he's literally a heart surgeon. Eek, eek, messy. Ladies and gentlemen the way that you support this program is by heading on over to takepoliticsseriously.com thank you to everybody who have continued to support us with your one time donations with your support on patreon with uh, uh, spreading the word on on uh, the fact that again nobody else does this I, and i i, I I am not prone to very serious kind of uh, 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 I'm not great at marketing. I I think I'm good at content creation. I am not great at marketing And, and know how much I must feel comfortable with this statement for me to tell you nobody, nobody travels the way I do for this podcast without a guarantee of an employer flat out nobody else in that press pen gets uh, doesn't have benefits <laughs> i am the only person if i slipped and i broke my leg then it would be on my own insurance i would not be able to get benefits from somebody else actually technically it would be the insurance that i get from my wife long story short nobody else takes the time takes the effort takes the editing capacity to go out there and produce this content And as we get into the general election, as we get into the midterms, as we get into the control of the Senate, as we get in to watching these candidates who have fought their way through their own party now take aim at each other while Joe Biden contemplates even running again after the midterms, while the knives come out on the Democratic side for each other. While Donald Trump begins to run roughshod over anybody that he believes has disappointed him, now is the time where those bonus episodes will come in handy. And so I implore you, support an outlet that actually uses your money for things that benefit you. When I leave on these trips, man, I am evaporating almost all the money that I make for multiple episodes. But I do believe it's worth it. I believe you guys are worth it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level gets you two bonus podcasts per week, no matter what. $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the show. Head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I, along with so many others, was sickened and horrified to see what happened in Buffalo, New York, uh, a couple weeks ago. A shopping center was gunned down by a man for whom wrote a hundred-plus page manifesto as to why he did it. It wasn't even the only mass shooting that day. In California, there was another shooting, this one in a church, Uh, although the motives there were fairly clear. He was a supporter of the Chinese Communist Party and did not like Taiwanese people, at least. It's a story we know right now. The Buffalo Shooters' motivations, however, have been the subject of quite a lot of conversation. The idea of white nationalism and white replacement theory is something that has spun up a lot of dialogue, specifically when it comes to Tucker Carlson and Fox News. But it all comes back to this person's manifesto posted live on the Internet and. Well, you know, anything else I'll say, we're going to cover uh, a little bit later in this interview. I read an article in the Atlantic that I thought was of a great contribution to the the conversation that was going on. Something that I had not heard in a lot of other. Coverage. His name is Graham uh, Graham Wood. He is a staff writer for The Atlantic. But more specifically to this particular conversation, he is somebody for whom has a lot of experience reading manifestos and manifestos that are more specific and pointed than even the one that the Buffalo shooter posted. And those are largely from Islamic terrorism. His book is The Way of the Strangers' Encounters with the Islamic State. His name is Graham Wood. We welcome him now. Welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you for having me. Uh, there was uh, obviously a lot written in the wake of what happened in Buffalo, which is an an absolute unmitigated tragedy. But I, I found what you wrote in The Atlantic to be particularly Uh, important because I didn't read a lot of other things like it. (laughs) Can you please summarize uh, uh, what you wrote?
1: Yeah. uh, You know, I I, I am, as a result of writing about ISIS and other terrorists in the past, uh, sort of hooked into a terrorism analysis community. And first thing I noticed was that people were very responsibly saying, don't link to this guy's manifesto. Don't link, don't uh, circulate it. Don't host it. Don't quote from it at length. And I, I basically agree, you, you know, this is odious stuff. I read the whole thing, uh, but there are downsides to not having the primary source material circulating. So uh, I wanted to a show what, it, what was being said and then just make sure that people knew what we were losing by not using um, the the primary source, you know, the, the, the whole odious 108 pages uh, as, um, For illustrative purposes, and you know what we would see if what readers would see if they saw it was that we had a um, first of all a a seriously disabled mind at work in the sense of of moral disability that uh, that mind was not an impressive one it it was cobbling together history um, memes cartoons from the most ridiculous and clearly. odious sources. Um, it, this is not something that if a normal person looked at it, they'd think, oh, you know, this person's got a point. You'd think, yeah. no, the, the, this person is someone who reads Der Stürmer and thinks Hitler had a point, which a normal person, uh, even I would say a normal person on the, the you know, Tucker Carlson watching right would not say if they saw the, the images of hook-nosed Jews and animalistic black people. And then the the last thing that I, I, I thought people should understand was that this is on a spectrum of great replacement theory. And we've seen versions of that on Tucker Carlson's show uh, in the mouths of prominent politicians. Mm-hmm. And I think it was important if you, if you actually see the manifesto. To understand what the distinctions are between those theories and also to make sure that the ones that are different are, are called to task to, to accentuate those differences and hereticize the people who believe in uh, the, the version of it that, that motivated this killer.
0: So I, I want to take that piece by piece because I think there's a lot there that deserves further discussion. The first is the availability of the document. And and that is something that I totally agree with you. And I feel like in our digital adolescence, as we are kind of coming to grips, still, you know, in, in our first few decades of understanding what it means to be connected internationally with instant, uh, uh, instant effect and, and unlimited bandwidth and unlimited storage is there should be the ability to see it always. And maybe the moral element for for people should be, OK, well, you shouldn't personally spread it, but I feel like they wind up getting conflated in our modern world where it's no, if, if it shouldn't be spread, then it shouldn't exist on the internet or it should be somewhere very, very, very hard to get. And, and I feel like that, I, I hope that in, in the decades going forward, that maybe we understand that there should be a distinction between existence and our actions within it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely that there,
0: there, it's possible
1: to find this manifesto. It's not even that hard to find it. I, I found it. I'm a member of the public. And I I, th- I think people should understand that in the United States, we don't have the government suppress these things. And yeah. in that way, we're, we're actually unique. Um, there aren't, as far as I know, any other countries, peer countries of the United States where that's the case. And I think we should be proud of that. We should be proud that it's possible to, to get these documents and to read them and you know, in New Zealand, there's actually a guy and his name is Dave and he's the chief censor of <laughs> New Zealand. And you have to pay him $66 for him to tell you whether you're allowed to read things like this. And he might just say, no, I'll, I'll take your $66 and say, no.
0: Is that, is and that for real? That sounds like, 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 like a concept in a Taika Waititi movie that, that it, it's, it's, that it's Dave. It sounds to like go a see joke, Dave. Yeah.
1: But it's how New Zealand works. And, you know, it, you can be fined a hundred thousand dollars in France for having uh, even for, for any purpose whatsoever, the, the, the French state can decide that you're having jihadist material or praising jihadist causes um, merits that that kind of fine. So, I, I don't think that the United States should adopt that kind of liberty infringing policy. I do think, though, that we all have responsibilities to yeah. not just let this stuff circulate and to, to to dirty our own platforms, whether it's the Atlantic or Twitter. Who knows? With with, with, with the stuff. So, um, you know, we have responsibilities and I, th- I think people like me who read this stuff for a living have to make sure we keep our credibility so that when people read our, our summaries and analysis of what the material is, they think that they've got, uh, an, an accurate view of, of the material. But again, th- there's, there's some material that's so awful expressed in such a way that I, I almost wish I could just show everyone what it was because they would say that they, this is revolting and yeah. we need to get rid of 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 these odious views um, by shaming and, and um, you know, finding the people who who uh, who hold them and then um, um, making sure they're ostracized from public company.
0: One of the things that we do on this podcast, Graham, is is to talk a lot about the kind of art of politics and electioneering. And, and we are we are very upfront with the idea that politics in general and running a campaign, and, and now those happen 24-7, 365, is shaving a point to exactly one that benefits you and damages your enemy. Uh, I think that the problem that we are in now, specifically when these issues cross into political barriers— is when the source material or something that needs to be hidden or scrubbed either by, I mean, certainly not by a pub, by, by the government in this country, but oftentimes by private, uh, uh, you know, hosting services or social media is that we rely almost too much on the idea of the, the uh, summarization of it. And this is an extreme example, one that I agree with you. If people actually read or saw it, it would bear very little resemblance to any kind of mainstream political speech. But on a on a smaller level, you you had a, a representative, Paul Gozer, who tweets a stupid anime meme that then becomes very hard to find. And then all of the summaries are a video in which he kills AOC and Biden, which makes no mention to the fact that it's a cartoon. Uh, uh, and if, if people saw it, I think that they would have a different uh, uh, a reaction to it. Uh, do you think that there is a a a, a a a a more weaponized problem when this becomes something that is political, which is always designed to to kind of win hearts and minds to your side? I, if I understand you right, then yeah.
1: So I mentioned before that there's a version of the politics of this manifesto that it is somewhat mainstream. Yes, and it's really difficult to get people to understand exactly how these things interact. Uh, th- that is, um you know the, there's parts of the manifesto that Paul Gozer himself would consider odious and evil. yeah, and then there's parts of the manifesto where he'd say, "You know this guy's kind of got a point, and I agree with the version of this." And those of us who aren't uh, you know <laughs> shoulder deep in this kind of extremist material. And watching politics all the time will not understand how the virtual world and the 4chan boards interact with people who are actually sitting in Congress, uh, you know, tweeting things out, um, w- sometimes unbeknownst to the people who are tweeting them in the case of, of Gosar and others. Yeah, th- that show up originally in uh in parts of the internet that are, are, are extremely dark. So I think orienting people to the, um, to this ecosystem is an ongoing challenge for journalists because, you know, if you live in it um, either because you believe in it or because you professionally have to watch these things as I do, yeah, then you, you understand how that works. If you don't, and you, you're a normal human being, then <laughs> it's going to be difficult for you to understand what the differences are, which I think Is why we need to, you know, we need people like, say, Gosar or Tucker Carlson to speak more clearly about this. I mean, Tucker Carlson says that, yes, there is a plot to replace Americans with other people. And the Buffalo shooter says there is a plot to replace Americans with other people. That sounds pretty similar. I want to hear Tucker Carlson say very clearly, I think these particular people are doing that and the buffalo manifesto helpfully says yes it's a cabal of hook-nosed jews who are yeah. doing that so let, let let's 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 be clear and that kind of specificity i think is is called for um to even just to save his own reputation and skin from people like carlson or gozar
0: yeah i mean and 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 you know from from your perspective as somebody who who researches you know jihadist and 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 uh, isis and stuff like that I, I feel like there's even a, a a notable difference between somebody who is trying to create an ideology for a a existing group versus a, a guy who is cobbling together a bunch of 4chan memes and uh, uh, you know crossing a line that for his culture and his society of, of being an American is the ultimate sin. Like it is, it is the, the ultimate reason why we are uh, excommunicated from our tribe on a, on a very, you know, uh, a basic level. Uh, There is, I I don't know. I mean, part of this entire thing is frustrating to me because even if, you know, beyond what he said, if he said, I have watched Tucker Carlson every single night and I am doing this because I believe he has programmed me to do it. I have a, tendency to believe that I would blame Tucker Carlson even then about as much as I would blame Catcher in the Rye for John Lennon dying. (laughs) Like you know it's a murderer. A murderer said a thing. I I don't know exactly how serious to take it.
1: Yeah. And I also think that there is we we don't have really good intuitions as as, uh, just normal consumers of politics and media about how ideas uh, influence actions. Yeah. Um, you, You know, there are lots of people who spend a lot of time on 4chan and they don't even consider the the possibility that they might then spend a couple months practicing their tactical, um, you know, range practice and so forth so that they can go kill people. So it's, it's not as if an idea just instantly, um, turns into action. It it turns out that there's other things that have to happen other, uh, and then certain people who are psychologically, uh, for one reason or another or socially, inclined toward that. So it's, it's, it's a multifactorial thing. Um, it's, <laughs> it, in the case of jihadism, I feel like we've seen all of these things in a different context. And interestingly, people reached different conclusions about them as different from the ones that they're reaching about Buffalo. That is a lot of doubt about whether ideas turn into action When it comes to jihadism or Islamism turning into terrorist attacks, whereas in this case, a direct line is 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 being postulated between, say, Fox News and and killing people. So I think it behooves everybody to think in a more sophisticated way about what that pipeline is from ideas to action.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we're really looking at like, okay, well, why did this happen? What are the reasons why why it happened? I would put cable news programming certainly below the economy. (laughs) I would put it below, you know, the standard of mental health in America. I would put it below a lot of societal factors that I think would probably factor into this much in the same way that I'm sure from your study. Let me ask you this uh, uh, in terms of jihadist recruitment. Uh, I would imagine my guess would be as as somebody who is uneducated on this, that it's not necessarily that somebody reads a very compelling pamphlet and and needs to go. It probably also has economic and, and societal feeder elements that that are, are if, if my life is not going great. Well, here's a reason why I can find a solution to to do something about it. And now I'm going to fall into this group that wants to kill the great Satan. Yeah, so there's a lot of theories about how, say, economic
1: and, and social factors feed into someone's decision to go, say, travel to Syria and join ISIS. And w- one thing we know for sure is that it's it's definitely not just if you're poor, then you're more likely to do this. Actually, it seems to be somewhere in the middle where if you're very poor, you're not interested in this at all. If you're very rich, you don't have any have as much interest in it. There's somewhere in the middle or that that seems to be um, the sweet spot for for that. Um what it often has to do with, though, I I think the ideology is a, is a necessary component. You need to have at some point this brain poison that's been that's been that's been fed to you. And then you probably also have to be that's not sufficient either. You probably have to be in a certain social network where other people have encouraged you to do this. In the case of the Buffalo guy, look, he got the brain poison. That's for sure. He He, mm-hmm. he wrote at great length about how. Deeply sucked into this propaganda, he got, and the the manifesto, by the way, is is mostly just cut and paste of that of that propaganda. Then there's the fact that he seems to have been a kind of neuroatypical, friendless loner. Yeah. Uh, and all of the signs that that uh, he was going down this rabbit hole and arming himself for an actual attack were missed, um, or were, were not uh, considered seriously enough. I mean, he he talked about. His interest in mass shootings, talked about a desire to die. Um, all of these not a great sign for someone who's spending a lot of time with guns and yeah. who, who's in late adolescent. And when I, 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 I believe he had,
0: he had some run-in with his school, right? There was there was some uh, uh, something with his with his school initially, and 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 that's you know one of the one of the things that's at least in the talking points now that there was not more done then. Yeah, and it's a real pity that nobody stopped him at that point. But it would, it's it's hard to know what's
1: you know a seventeen-year-old with some problems as yeah. most 17 year olds have. And which one is a 17 year old who's planning to kill as many black people as he can, which turned out to be what, what this guy was. I, again, it, it, there's, it, there's always these horrified realizations that something could have been done in, in the case of this guy, it's, it's, it's no different. And, you know, I, I think what the way I think of it as why this guy, why now a lot of it has to do with availability. That's availability of ideology, where it was very easy for this guy to find bad ideas and to mm-hmm. get really sucked into them. And then of course, availability of, of weaponry. So there's a lot of thought that he put into uh, how to arm himself, how to armor himself with, with uh, the, the right vests and so forth. Um, that's uh, that's all things that, that um Frankly, in in some other places, um, the second stuff that the 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 guns would would have been a little harder for him to get. Um, yeah. So, um, hard not to think of that as an important aspect of the the conversion from thought to action.
0: Uh, to switch to, I mean, and listen, we are delving into a lot of dark territory here, but a very slightly lighter topic for which you mentioned in this article is the the tremendous. Tedium and boredom that actually goes into reading manifestos like this, and you and you detail uh, uh, back in your uh, you know uh, several years ago when the Unabomber's manifesto was something that was held as uh, uh you know this this a uh, big thing that like oh my god it, it, it you know is is dangerous to be read and you read it and realized very quickly. Wow! It turns out mass murderers are not exactly, you know, brevity is the soul of wit. Subscribers, <laughs> yeah, it sucked. Um, <laughs> I, I, I read it; it's extremely boring. Um, and
1: uh, I will say, it was very literate compared to the Buffalo Manifesto. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, you, <laughs> the, the the Unabomber has written books since, and he's actually cited me in those books and sent me copies. So really, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I I always love to have fans say that, um, but. <laughs> Um, It's true. There's tremendous variation in the quality of the work of lunatics. And um, in the case of ISIS, often you'll find journalists look at the people who perpetrated terrible attacks, like the Bataclan massacre in Paris, and they'll say, oh, these people look like morons. And often they are morons. They're morons who have been bewitched by the thoughts and writings of people who are not morons and often very, very intelligent. So the Unabomber was a very, very smart guy, he was a math professor at Berkeley at one point. And often in the case of ISIS people, they're extremely smart and learned on topics relating to their religion. So I, I think in the case of the Buffalo Manifesto, um, we're not talking about a guy who was a creator of ideology. We're talking about a guy who who was seduced by it and. One of the things that has yet, I think, to be adequately done, is figuring out who's actually creating the ideology that seduces people like this. This shooter—they um, are out there. I don't have personally a good sense of of uh, of who all of them are or how their their um, sort of the sociology of their knowledge um, works. But that that's going to be the next step that I, I think analysts of right wing extremism. Um, start doing with, with maybe a, a, a bit more rigor than has happened in the past.
0: But let's get into the big question there, because as you mentioned, uh, there is a value in looking at odious stuff. Uh, if even just so most right thinking people can understand, there is the line, a line for which I I do not cross, even, you know, regardless of whatever our divergent political opinions are. But let's say we do identify uh, 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 people who are creating a, a dangerous ideology. What do we do with it?
1: Yeah, I, so the reaction, as I mentioned, for other countries is to lock them up. I mean, the, the yeah. creation of of hateful speech is, is criminalized in other places. Uh, we don't do that. We should not do that. But, you know, the, the reaction by some people is to say, let's not talk about them. Let's not give them airtime. I think that's exactly wrong. What we need to do is find out exactly how they are exerting their influence, where they're getting their ideas, how they're putting them together, how they're, how they're publicizing them. We need to know more about those people. And that, that means, you know, from a journalistic perspective, that means long articles about the profiles of them and deep dives into how they work. Um, so far I, I haven't actually found what I con- would consider the, like the, the, the ultimate, um, discussion of, of of these things. Now, it, you know, in the case of the Buffalo Manifesto, I will say this: a lot of the memes in that, a lot of the ideas, uh, they go back a long way. Uh, oh yeah, we're, we're talking Nazi Germany, even before Nazi Germany. That's, yeah, this
0: is this is this is this is protocols at the Elders of Zion kind of stuff. This is this is this is old vintage anti-Semitism.
1: Yes, this is this is this is a real OG anti-Semitism. So I I, I think. Um, we, we, might be, you know, in some ways barking up the wrong tree and find it, trying to find people who are creating it today, but there are still going to be nodes of influence that we should have a be- have mapped out better than we currently have it mapped out.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, uh I, I wonder whether or not, and again, I, I do feel that, that what we are going through now uh, is is a digital adolescence. We are still reckoning with what it m- means to have this level of connectivity and this level of power. But the conversation that that happens around, you know, platforming or like, well, you shouldn't discuss this because that's giving this. You are lending your stage to something that is terrible, and and that will uh, create more evil or more uh, uh, problematic thought than it will erase it. I, I think that that's I think that hurts us. I, I think I think it 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 takes away the concept of uh, hey, look at this insane idea and look at this person and what they went through that now thinks like this and spends their days writing that. Uh, understanding and and modeling and and exploring these personalities i I think is is intensely valuable. it, it is and it doesn't benefit us to put our heads in the sand
1: obviously, I, I agree. I would also just say it's it's an empirical question. you know is, is it the case that if you write about uh, odious ideas, then there's some some subset of your readers who say, "Huh, you know he didn't seem to like that idea, but I do. yeah uh, I, I, to my knowledge, <laughs> in my voluminous writing about jihadism <laughs> and about other forms of extremism, I, I've never run across someone who had that reaction to to what I wrote. Um, not that they would necessarily tell me, but I, I sincerely doubt that that has ever happened. So I mean, cause, there might it, cause, be it, ways it, cause if it would have, life.
0: then the history channel would have created a fourth Reich, right. For as much programming <laughs> that they run about Hitler, like the, he w- it would have, he would have come back to life uh, 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 based on just how much they talk about that dude.
1: Yeah. But, but now there are ways that, that uh, there's some kinds of, um, I guess, cheap forms of journalism where, they might. I could imagine someone taking, say, the Buffalo Manifesto and just like repeating a bunch of things from it because they need to file a copy in the next twenty minutes, uh, yeah. and that might get a click. In my experience, that's not how most journalists work. Uh, they will filter it through um, a certain amount of analysis, which is it's their job to do, and they will not portray it in a way that's persuasive. I, I think <laughs> the the real conundrum in the case of the Buffalo Manifesto is the ultimate unpersuasive way to portray this is just to publish the manifesto because it's extremely unpersuasive and clearly not written by someone who has a fully functioning brain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that gets us back to the thing earlier, where I think that there's, there is a, the, the, the very unfortunate thing is I think that there is a political benefit to not publishing it because then you, you are more likely to say, well, it is because my enemy's programming is making serial killers, uh, which which I don't think is particularly productive, but that's where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it again comes down to
1: the public should have a granular understanding, if possible, of the spectrum of, of views um, about, say, the Great Replacement, all of which I disagree with, but I, I think that, you know Tucker Carlson, for example, we we owe it to Tucker Carlson to give him a chance to say what the distinction is between his views and the Buffalo Manifesto author, which you know some of them some of the differences are are clear enough, uh, and other ones I'm not so sure about. So I I I think we need to make sure that everybody gets a chance to to understand those differences, which if we yeah. don't publish, is harder to do.
0: I, I think you know, and that's the, this particular situation. I think is is pretty thorny because you know on on this show we just did a big episode about the uh uh idea of the in you know very much came to to popularity in 2008 with Obama's election of the permanent democratic majority and this was something that was a mainstream idea that was very, very much talked about uh, uh, based on a book in 2004 by uh, uh Ruby Teixeira, who said that the that there was eight more states that would become majority minority by 2040. And so it's like, that is mainstream thought. It was the reason why Democrats uh, mainstream Democrats believe that they were not going to lose a presidential election forever. Uh, um, we did a whole thing about it, about the rise and fall of the idea. Those demographic ideas are, are what you can yes in the hands of a, a, a brain poisoned uh, mass murdering racist, can be like they the 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 Jews are trying to replace white people with black people, uh, or it can be a you know a, a very cordial uh, segment on MSNBC anywhere between two thousand and eight and two thousand and fourteen. Like you you can mention these demographic changes, however you want, <laughs> but it's like uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it 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 I think whenever something awful like this happens, it it tends to remove a lot of. Uh, a nuance to the conversation.
1: Yeah, I, Rui Teixeira is a um, thoughtful and careful analyst of things. I I think though that there have been um, very careless ways of expressing how, how demographic change happens in the United States.
0: That <laughs> a- absolutely, and, like, and, 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 and and Rui and, Teixeira is at the forefront of saying that people have gone way too far with with the uh, the, the the ideas
1: of that book. If you quote, if you, if you look at the quotes, though, that even the Buffalo Manifesto guy um, puts out there, there are people who are maybe not quite in the mainstream, but who are triumphalist about how white people are going to be, their, their share of power is going to, to disappear. Um, yeah. People who are, are they're, they're thrilled by this. And of course, this kind of thing is going to be quoted by everyone on the side of the Great Replacement. And th- that's, that's unfortunate, which is, I think, why. The only way responsibly to cover this is, uh, first of all, in a factual way, well, you know, what do we actually know about the socio-demographics of, of shifts in, the, in this country mm-hmm. with immigration? And then also in a, in a way that is, I mean, my, my inclination is, is always to downplay the, the importance, um, you know, in a normative sense of, of uh, racial and ethnic solidarity. That's that's just not my bag, and I, yeah. I I feel vindicated in in having that view for for a long time now.
0: Well, uh, uh, this is a a, a I, I will say when I read your when I read your piece, I was very very uh, happy because I I felt like it was uh, among what I think was was some very depressing commentary around a very very horrifying and depressing event. I I thought that yours was a a very much needed element to uh uh, the 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 dialogue uh graham wood is our guest here today he is a staff writer at the atlantic and the author of the way of the strangers encounters with the islamic state uh thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with us thank
1: you justin it's a pleasure
0: and and that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for dog and pony show audio in Austin, Texas. You can say thank you to Graham for coming on the show by heading on over to P X three guest.com letter P letter X number three guest.com. Send me an email, the young at gmail.com hit me up or hit the show up on Twitter. P X three tweets. You can find our Twitch where I'm live Monday, Wednesday, Friday when I'm in town. PX3 Live. Our podcast is PX3 Podcast, and our merch is politicsmerch.com. Of course, you can support us with a one-time donation, paypal.me slash pay jury. Our Venmo is Justin Dash Young Dash 20, and our Cash App is PX3cash. Send anything physical you'd like in the mail to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again. Take it out to Justin Young, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus episodes covering everything that we miss during our free podcast schedule, and especially during the midterms when things will go very, very fast. It is smart to have it if you care. $10 $10 tier gets you that, as well as your name right at the end of the show, like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. v Alexis, Neil of Neals, MC Dradio, Unsafety B-Level, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Yeo Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Kneemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, Persons Familiar with the Matter, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. 100-mile runner, Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start, Dr. G, headphones, Neil, Charles, Darren, Alex, the owner of the Stronger Now Gym in Atlanta, Idris in Blue Front and the Lanina. DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, terror and Diana, Shrill, Shrieks, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Redneck Tech, he's awesome. David, Brad, Richard, D. Lazer, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Who Loves, Frank Got Abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Jen, Adam, L, D. Really, Chopper, J. Pink, Andrew, and Josh. You want your name read? Take Politics Seriously is the place to go. Guys, I have promised. I have promised a conversation with our friend Kevin Ryan for weeks now. And I'm not going to sugarcoat this one. Kevin flaked on me for weeks. Repeatedly, repeatedly he has canceled on me. And if he were not somebody that I enjoy talking to so much, I probably just would have said, you know what? Whatever. Leave it there. But he has told me that he is coming on next Wednesday's show. And he is about to have, he and his wife are about to have their second child. And I have told him, and I am not afraid to say it publicly, that if he cancels on me for Wednesday's show, he is going to be compelled, by way of internet bullying, to name, make that child's middle name flake. <laughs> whatever pretty uh, or, or masculine name, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, whatever name you want to put up front, let's go with a gender neutral one, let's say Dana. Dana Flake Ryan is going to be the name. All right? If he cancels. I don't think he will. I have faith in our boy. So there we go. Kevin Ryan next week. Till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying, uh, Some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. And still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss. All three.